Matthew chapter 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day to be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And we're going to talk about the Son of Man coming in his kingdom in a couple weeks. But for Mother's Day, this is a pretty harsh message. I mean, get behind me, Satan. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to give an encouraging Mother's Day verse, kind of just to get us started here a little bit. This is an encouraging Mother's Day scripture. For those of you who didn't get the flowers there, I'm just going to read this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that a nice Mother's Day verse? If only we had a pony. Some, oh, there it is. Okay, Prancer, there you go. Right? Tough, tough scripture. And the scripture we're going over this morning is a tough scripture, especially for Mother's Day. But what's happening here, if you look at this first part here, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. Now, here's the key part of this verse. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus is saying, if I might take liberty, you're... Focus is down here. Your focus is on the worldly kingdom. You have in mind the, th- the things of men. For Mother's Day, you're thinking like a man. Okay, right? That, there's a shout out to the mothers there. You, Peter was thinking like a man, and so that was like Satan. Instead of the things like God. Okay? That's what he's saying. And what we have to understand here is this is what's happening. Jesus started out with his disciples with come and see. Okay, it was a very simple invitation. Come and see. Okay. And we see this in John chapter one, verse 39. They asked, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Jesus started off with come and see, but now he's moving to come and die. Okay. Jesus didn't just start out with come and die. He started out with come and see, and he's moving to come and die. If you look in John chapter 12, 12 chapters away from come and see, he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It produces much fruit. And so what he's trying to get across to his disciples is, Peter, you've got a come and see attitude still. You're thinking of me as a political leader, and it offends me. It's, it's, it's satanic to think in those terms. 
I want you to get to now the idea of come and die. And so what he does is he says, look, put, it behi- put that behind you now. It's time to take the next step. And this is why we've been talking about this whole idea of the next step. What, what is the next step? If we think of it this way, of, of come and see, and then we just start moving down the line to come and die. What would be the next step? So essentially what he says to the disciples in, in, the, in, the, in the first part of the call is lay down your nets. Remember when he said that to them? They laid down their nets and they went. Now he's saying lay down your life. Okay, so there's a, there's a transition. And so the, the, the terminology, the whole thing starts getting a little more serious and, and uh, a little less Mother's Day. Right, and, and we do this the same. Come and see is a, uh, to come and die is a, is a typical uh, pattern. We'll do it when we're finding a church. Okay, if I'm looking for a church, I'd go and I'd sit. I go, do I like the music? Do I like the pastor? Do I like you know? Did I feel welcome? Does it make me feel good? You know, whatever. That's all come and see, and that's great. And that's fantastic. But at some point, you're going to plant yourself in a church. And that come and see attitude needs to change to a come and die. You plant your flag. You say, this is my church. And no matter what happens with the come and see, I'm coming. You know, unless doctrinally we start getting all out of whack. Okay, but that's normal. With my wife, it was the same thing. When I first saw her, it was come and see, right? I was just like, that's what I'm talking about, you know? <laughs> it's like a, you just, you know, you, that's what it is. You get attracted to somebody, that's all at the come and see level. And then what happens? As the relationship deepens, now I'll die for her. I mean, I'm not saying I'll like take a bullet for her. No, I would take a bullet for her. But we, 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 so we, we, we die for each other, but not just, you know, if somebody came in and said, you know, should I kill you or your wife? Of course, you know, everyone's going to say, kill me, right? But I'm talking about what it says in Ephesians. You lay down your life for your spouse. See, that whole thing in Ephesians of wives submitting to your husbands and husbands laying down your lives for your spouse, that's all come and die lingo right there. See, if we still have the come and see attitude, and then you tell me I got to submit or I have to lay down my life, I don't like that. But if I have a come and die attitude, it makes all the sense in the world, right? Those, those relationships that are strong are willing to die for each other. See, it's a, just a natural progression from come and see to come and die. Now, how do we do that? Well, I think Jesus gives us three keys here on the come, from come and see to come and die. The first is our humility before Christ. Deny yourself. The word deny means to disown. Let him disown himself. If you want to get really literal in the language, it would say, let him refuse any association or companionship with himself. (laughs) Now, how in the world do I, as a person who's got me, and here I am, disown myself or refuse any association or companionship with myself? It's very difficult, right? I mean, especially in America. I mean, when you think about America... We're designed for the self. From where I'm standing right now in a five, if you took five miles and went around, there's 10 Starbucks. I like Starbucks, right? I can go to a different Starbucks every day and still have three days left over to go in the afternoon or whatever. And I can visit a different one every time, right? If I want to watch TV, I got 200 channels to watch. If I want to go eat lunch, I can go get Italian, Mexican, Vietnamese, sushi, uh, okay, right? Anything I want, Korean, it doesn't matter. I want to get a hamburger. I got, 
We got Carl's Jr., uh, Burger King over here, the Topps Burger here, whatever that is. I mean, it's incredible what we have. If I want to feel something, I can get on the internet right now. If I want to feel angry, I can get on the internet right now and find a site that'll make me angry. It'll make, uh, you know, yeah. You guys are like, yeah, I know. It's the church website. No, I'm kidding. All right, so I, I, I can find one that, that gets me, which is livingspring.com, by the way. Okay, no. Uh, I can find one that makes me angry. If I want to feel happy, I can find one that makes me feel happy. If I want to gossip, I can find one that may, helps me gossip. If I want to learn, I can find a learn one. I can and find out every sports statistic I could ever find. Anything I want to feel, I can feel at any time. And I started going through this during the week, and I started realizing just how much I indulge myself. And, and not, not like sin. You know, it's just, if I want something, I get it. I want a cup of coffee, I get a cup of coffee. If I want some snacks, I go get some snacks. If I want to get on the internet, I'll get on the internet. I'll get on the internet while I'm watching TV with some snacks. Okay? I just, whatever I want. So I started this thing of like, I'm just going to start denying myself. I, I'm just going to not, you know, I, I would like some pretzels. And then I'd say, you know, I'm not going to have pretzels. And it's so weird what happens. Like this idea of disassociating yourself, disowning yourself, the conversation you have with yourself as it departs. Because what happens is I go, I'm not going to have the pretzels. Dude, why not have the pretzels? Because I'm denying myself. So there. They're just pretzels. It's not a big deal. You're making, you go, you're over-spiritualizing. You over-spiritualize everything. Do not, do too. Right? So you start getting this conversation like, what's the big deal anyway? But as you begin to disown yourself, you begin to leave room for the Spirit of God to speak. It begins to open your eyes to things. And again, this is just, this is a small example, you know, of, if I'm having lunch, I might not order something that I would normally want. I might order something different. Just, it's all me, just to kind of test this theory out. And it's amazing to me how this denying yourself really opens up a way to, it's not always come and see. It's not always, what do I want now? What, what do I need now? You begin to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. That's what fasting is. Fasting is some, not some magical way to twist God's arm to do what you Oh man, he's not eating anything. I better do it right away, right? That's not what fasting is. Fasting is to say, you know what? I'm going to deny my body something so that every time my body naturally reminds me, like through a hunger pain, it's a reminder that I serve someone greater outside of myself. That's what denying yourself is. So America is built around this whole idea that it's all for you. And so to deny yourself is unnatural. But Jesus gave us the perfect example in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was going to die, this is what he said. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. And you can imagine. He knew what was coming. Then he makes a phenomenal statement, a statement that goes from come and see to come and die. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Denying himself. It says this in John six thirty-three. It is the spirit who gives life, the life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. And so essentially the flesh, it gives no return. Now we say, yes, it does. I, when, I eat the, when I eat the chips, I feel good. And, and there is a growth that happens in my life, right? So I, I'm just playing around, but, but it profits nothing. So imagine if I said to you, hey, guys, listen, I... I was going to do a sermon, but I got this. I got to tell you guys about this stock 
this stock tip that I got. Oh, it's fantastic. Invest all your money in this company. And you go, oh, really? What's it about? Well, it's not going to give you any return. You're just going to invest in it. And there's going to be no return. You go, well, why would I do that? I, I've actually done that before. It's not fun, okay? Right? Why would you do that? Well, why do we invest so much in the flesh? I invest a lot of my life in the flesh. My thoughts and what I, what I do, okay? The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So we need to remove the flesh to leave room for the Spirit of God. I'm going to read another section of Scripture that's a little uh, longer, uh, so don't lose it here. You were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This idea of becoming Something different than yourself. Having Christ make that radical change. But if my whole day, if every minute of my day is set up for myself, what room is there for God? And so this idea is this humility. It's, 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 it's laying down your life. And it's very personal. And I, I put this up here. Our faith should be intensely personal. Our faith should be very, very personal. The things that God's going to tell me to deny might not be the things he tells you to deny. But we've got to begin to look inside our heart and say, Lord, what is it that you'd have me give up? Maybe, maybe it is fasting for a day. To go, you know, I'm just going to give up food for one day so that when I get that hunger pain, it's a, it's a physical reminder of how, how, how much I want the Spirit of God in my life. Or maybe we give up TV for a while just to shove that out for a while, just to kind of give ourselves some time to go, what would the Lord have for me? Maybe it is just like a fun thing of going, you know what, this lunch, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to order a Diet Coke, I'm going to have water. Something ridiculous like that. But just to say, Lord, I want to be open to your Holy Spirit. I want more of the Spirit of God. It's intensely personal. It's going to look different for every single person. Some of you are sitting there, you're fidgeting in your seat going, man, I know exactly what the Lord wants me to give up. He's been telling me about it for weeks. Okay, that might be it. Secondly, our identity with Christ. First is our humility before Christ. Next is our identity with Christ. To take up our cross. Now, there's a lot of times we talk about this idea of I've got a cross to bear. You know, have you ever heard that statement? I've got a cross to bear. And usually it's our boss or um, a a father-in-law. I won't say mother-in-law because it's Mother's Day. A father-in-law, right? Or it's some relationship or maybe it's some health issues. And kind of we kind of say, well, everybody's got their cross to bear. That's not what the scripture is talking about. The scripture is talking about your identity with Christ. Because see, what happens is once you deny yourself, you're left with what? An empty vessel, right? So there needs to be a new identity. And guess what that new identity is going to be? The cross of Jesus Christ. It's going to be an identity with Christ. See, if you look at this picture here, you see this guy. I, don't, I can't tell you anything about that guy except that he's got a cross. That he's associating himself. Either he's going to die or he's associating himself with Jesus or whatever, but the cross stands out in that picture. And I'd submit to you that 
That's the idea of taking up our cross. We say, I will be identified with Jesus Christ even to death. From come and see to come and die. Look what Galatians 2.20 says. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. All of a sudden, I've become someone who looks like Jesus. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Again, this is not fun Mother's Day stuff. I apologize. But you start thinking, well, Man, if I, you mean if I start carrying the cross, if I start living in a way that where I become identified with Christ, there's a promise in the Bible that I'm going to be persecuted? Yes, there is. And if we stay on the come and see part, that's going to leave a bad taste in our mouth. But as we begin to deny ourselves, we begin to take up our cross, we begin to move down this line to come and die, we start to realize the how fulfilling it is to have the Spirit of God resting on us to the point that people would notice and make fun. It's kind of weird. It's so un-American, right? To be discomforted and have that make us happy? It seems so masochistic or sadistic. Which one is it? It's the one where he seems weird, okay? That's, that's what it seems like. It seems bizarre. But watch what 1 Peter says. Now, 1 Peter, we have to understand, this was written by Peter. Peter's the one that denied, not himself, denied Christ. And he knows what it, it, what it, what it feels like to be on the come and see part and never get off and then have a chance where he gets to profess the name of Jesus and he says, "What well, I know not the man. I don't know that man. I'm disassociating myself with him. I don't know him. Exactly what we're supposed to do with the flesh. Now watch what Peter's writing, okay? This is fantastic stuff. He says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. You're happy. It's fantastic. See, Peter's been through both. He's been through the come and see and he's like, ugh, that's boring, That's not a life filled with power in the spirit. He's like, when you're insulted, when you start traveling down to the come and die, it's way better is what blessed means. Way better is your life. Happy. Why? Now listen, this is the most important part. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When you take the cross of Jesus Christ, the spirit and the glory of God rests on you. And if I were to ask this congregation here, how many want more of the spirit of God in your lives? We'd all raise our hands. Some would raise up both hands. Yes, we want the spirit of God. Well, unfortunately, if we stick on come and see, we're never going to get it. If it's just, oh, I just want this and I want that and I'm upset about this and this, we're never going to get it until we're willing to take the cross of Jesus Christ and say, I'm becoming identified with that to the point of come and die. Then the power of the Spirit begins to move mightily in our lives. Why? Because we're removed and it leaves room for God. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So let's say this is my life. You guys are probably wondering why all this was up here. So I got the newspaper. This represents, uh, you know, my anger issues and my fear of what's going to happen to my 401k and, you know, whatever. That represents that. 
I got my soccer ball. This represents uh, kids' sports, driving my kids all around, making sure they, uh, they don't mess up. Okay, this is uh, my job, okay? This is uh, the computer, which I spend a lot of time on researching or checking out uh, raccoons on Facebook that fall into trash cans or on YouTube, I mean. Okay, I got my um, uh, Lakers at 1230 uh, today, just so you know. Okay, game four. All right. Okay, so I got, I got my TV. I got my, the, the, these represent the, the work I have to do at the house, okay? Or it represents that I need to call someone to come over and do some work uh, at my house, uh, because if I do it, notice that when I bring up a tool, it has something to do with destruction, not construction, okay? So I've got all this stuff, okay? And come and see means I look and I say, oh, wow, this is great. I got the, the cross of Jesus. What's it going to do for me? Well, I, I want to be saved from my sins. So I got my stuff and I want to be saved from my sins. That's come and see, Okay? And so we do. We make that decision for, for Jesus. And, and the Lord honors that commitment. He honors us where we're at. Okay? So we come and we say, yeah, I, I want to follow Christ. And so we do. And we, we make an and then, and then we, we begin this relationship with Jesus. And then we realize, man, this is great. He's got peace that surpasses all comprehension. This is great. So what we do is we lean. Oh, man. Oh, my life is so much better now. Okay? Because I've got Christ. And it is. And this is fantastic. And I rest for a while. But the Lord isn't calling me to this. Guys, he's not calling us to this. You understand? He's calling us to take up our cross. So watch what this looks like. It's going to help me a little bit. Okay? Here I am. Okay? This cross, go ahead, thank you. This cross is very heavy. Okay? So it's, it's resting on me pretty good. All right? If I want to carry this cross, though, I've got to come down here. And when I get to here, I can't carry it without dropping my stuff. It's a pretty heavy cross, okay? <laughs> so here I am. And if I want to carry it, I'm going to need some help, okay? I don't need help right now. I can push this back up. Okay. Now, if someone could just massage my lower back, that would be fantastic. No, okay. I'm just, I'm just playing. But see, sometimes a Christian life is like dropping our stuff and trusting and then going, ah, wait a second. And we, we put it back up and we, we grab all our stuff again. It's like, okay, okay, good. Whew. All right, I got that. I'm not going to grab all of it. I'm just going to grab this. You know, this is just the essentials. No. Yeah. Just the essentials, okay? Soccer, computer, television. Need I say more? Okay, no, right? And then the Lord says, no, this is not what I want for you. And you go, okay. Okay, got it. I still cannot hold this up with these two things in my hand. Okay, so that's, that's the idea, is that the Lord wants us to get to a point in our lives where we let it go. Or we can take the full weight of the cross and go, this is my new identity in Christ. This is my identity. The old is gone, the new has come. Now, the great thing is, in Christ, we can still have those things, but it's all under his control. 
It's not under our control anymore. It's, it's all him saying, okay, now look, here's what I want you to do. You might, you might not be able to pick that up ever again. Or you might be able to pick it up, but I'm going to be in charge of how you use it. Or we're going to use what you were clutching onto. We're going to use it for my kingdom to advance the kingdom of God. See, here's the thing. The humility before Christ, we, I, I said our, our relationship with God is intensely personal, right? God's going to show you what you need to drop, okay? Or he's going to show me what I need to drop. But once the full weight of the cross comes on and we become identified with Christ, then our relationship with Christ becomes insanely public. Our faith is intensely personal, but it should be insanely public. Like, public to the point that we die. Public to the point that we could lose our job by saying, you know, I just can't do what you're asking me to do because of my relationship with God. Public to the point where we might lose some friends. It's insanely public. You see what I'm saying? And so, like, like think of any, any valuable relationship, okay? Like, like, think of my relationship with Lisa. And so we're walking down the mall, you know, in the mall, we're walking together, holding hands, looking at each other, no, I love you, no, you love Okay, right? We're doing that. And also we meet somebody. And they go, oh, hey, John, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? You know, God, I'm great, everything's cool. And I'm just sitting there, yeah. Now she's behind me. Yeah, we're talking. And the guy's looking. Like, Who's that behind you? Oh, you know, this kind of private. It's a private relationship. I don't, I don't really mention her name at all. It's personal. Okay. Right? Or imagine if I have kids and you go, hey, how was Jesse's soccer game? That's just my... Only I go to the soccer games and enjoy it. I, I don't want to talk about that. Right? That's ridiculous. Wouldn't that be silly? Okay? Right? It's ridiculous. Because these relationships are so... You can't... If you come and talk to me, I guarantee you within five minutes I'm talking about my wife. I'm talking about my kids. I'm talking about these relationships that mean so much to me. They're not hidden. I don't carry a picture of Lisa in my pocket and carry it around and just kind of look at it and put it back in. Right? I want to be with her all the time. I, I, want, I want to be known by my relationships with my family. I love my family. I love these relationships. I talk about them all the time. Too much. Some of you are like, yeah, we know. Every freaking analogy is about your kids. I can't stand it, right? I can't help that because it's so personal to me. And what Jesus is saying is, guys, listen, you're going to deny yourself and you're going to become so identified with me that when I'm persecuted, you're going to be persecuted. That when, 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 when people talk bad about me, they're talking bad about you. Jesus said these very words to his disciples that there's going to come a time when they're going to persecute me, they're going to persecute you, but don't worry, they're just persecuting me. See, the question is, we saw the picture of the guy carrying the cross. How far away can people tell that we're a Christ follower? How, how far away? Is it a cross I have in my pocket that I rub for good luck? Or I wear around my neck and go, he's still down there. Okay, excellent. Right? As a personal reminder. Now, those things are all fine, guys. I, I'm, not, I'm not against that at all. Do all that stuff. But can people see from a distance and he's carrying the cross of Christ? Does it have an impact? That is what Jesus is saying here. Take up your cross. Just 
a few years before this, we, we talked about this before, they, they, they squashed a rebellion and there were hundreds of people crucified down the roads that they were walking. So they know when you say take up your cross, they know exactly what, they're, what, he's ta- what Jesus is talking about. You're going to end up dying. So that's our identity with Christ. The third thing is our proximity to Christ. Follow me. Follow me. When Jesus turns around, are you there? <laughs> I, I went on a, uh, remember our bike ride to go get frozen yogurt? Oh, yeah. yeah, that was cool. Okay, so Jesse and I go on this bike ride to go get frozen yogurt, right? And, and I'm always looking behind me. Why? Because I love my son. I want to make sure he's okay. I want to make sure I can see him. I know, I know what's going on. I'm taller. I can see where cars are coming, all this kind of stuff. I'm always turning around. And when he's there, good. When he's not there, bad, right? But he's a good bike rider, so he always stays up with me. So he's always there. But Jesus talked about this in Luke, in Luke 6. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why, why, why do you, where are you when I'm t- trying to talk to you, when I'm trying to have you take it to the next level? I, I give you something to do, one little instruction. Why don't you do it? And then you say, oh, Lord, Lord, I'll follow you, Lord, whatever. Your proximity to Christ. We deny ourselves, we take up this new identity, and we say, where are you going, Lord? I got it. Where are you going? John 1, First uh, John 2 and 6 says this. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. If I want to know, I can t- you can tell me, hey, did you have your quiet time this week? Did you do this? And I could probably go, you know, I spent hours in the Word this week. I did. I spent hours in the Word this week. Doesn't that sound very spiritual? The question is, if you want to know how close Christ is to me, look at my life. And if I walked as Jesus did, then I'm close. If not, I could do anything. I could deny myself everything. Right? Colossians talks about that. I mean, uh, Corinthians talks about that. I can give all my possessions to the poor or whatever, but if it's not out of a love for God, it's not out of that relationship, I'm not close to him. I'm not walking as he did. And then one of the best, one of my favorite scriptures is found in Galatians 5.25. It says this, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, for me, see, I was talking about when Jesus turns around, are you there? Oftentimes when Jesus turns around, I'm not there. I'm I'm ahead of him already. I'm already two blocks ahead going, come on. (laughs) Like, I get ahead of Jesus. I get ahead. I'm always wanting to just go. You know, I always want to, just move forward. I don't like, like a lot of times the Lord will just stop. And for a while, I'm like, oh, this is cool. Ha, ha. One time the board here, they said, you know what, John? We think you should take a week off and just spend it in prayer. I'd, I'd kill myself if I had to do that. I know that sounds unspiritual, but I, I, I mean, I'd be good for a while, maybe like the first day. But then I'm like, I got stuff to do. Come on, right? And a lot of times for the Lord, what he's telling me to do to keep in step with the Spirit is to stop, to hold back. He's pulling me backwards. Other times I fall behind. That's why I love this verse, is that he turns right, we turn right. He turns left, we turn left. Keep in step with the Spirit. Don't get too far ahead. Don't get too far behind. That's why in this series we call it next step. Not next chapter or next new life or whatever. Next step. What is 
the next step going to be?